Welcome to the Instinct Performance Podcast, where we talk all things performance. This podcast covers various topics such as sports psychology, strength training, speed training, and mental performance. This podcast also shares uncut interviews from Olympic, professional, and high-performance athletes and coaches. Don't just listen to the knowledge and wisdom from this show. Practically apply what you learn from each episode and watch your sports performance skyrocket. Listen up, take notes, take action. Let's get it poppin'. Bingo. Okay. We're live. Welcome to the Instinct Performance Podcast. I'm extremely excited to welcome Jordan Procession to the show. Uh, I'll give him a quick bomb and introduction before we get into it. Uh, Jordan began his professional playing career in 2014 after being drafted by the Boston Red Sox in the 2014 MLB draft. Uh, After playing five years with the Red Sox organization, he signed a contract with the LA Dodgers. Uh, He also played for the Canadian Olympic baseball team that went to Lima, Peru uh, in 2019. I'm super excited to talk to you, Jordan. I know you're a catcher. A ton of catchers listen to this show, so we'll we'll definitely dive into that side of things. And for our Canadian listeners, Jordan is Canadian, so it's nice to have a fellow Canadian on the show. Thank you for coming, Jordan. I appreciate it, Isaiah. So usually the first question, we just dive into your story just so listeners can get to know you and, uh, and gain some report. So maybe you can talk about your early days, uh, maybe with the dog, sort of when you got hooked up with the junior national team, uh, the draft became more of a reality to you. Uh, I know you went to college first, so we, we can dive into that a bit, but you know, maybe just talk about your experience uh, in your early days. Yeah, um, you know, I was very fortunate. Um, I think I was 13, 14 years old when when I first joined the the, the Oak Dogs there. Um, and you know, it's it's every kid's dream to play professional baseball, but you don't know the steps that it takes to get to that ultimate goal. Um, and you know, joining the Dogs was that first step for me. Um, you know, being around top talent uh, in Western Canada and even all around Canada is the only way that, you know, you're going to be able to get better. You have to surround yourself with, with better players to be able to up your own game. Uh, And that's what, you know, I was fortunate enough to be able to do that. And um, you know, that led to me being able to represent team Canada in high school. Um, And that was, that was a pretty cool feeling. I'll never forget uh, being selected. We were in, uh, I think we were in Saskatoon uh that year I could be completely wrong um but I probably am uh Kindersley sorry Kindersley we were in there for Canada Cup and I'll never forget getting selected for Team Canada and being able to put that jersey on for the first time down in Orlando it was a pretty surreal feeling you know it's everybody wants to represent their country and to be able to do that was was amazing um and like you, you talked about there yeah I I did go to college first um, but there was still a chance of me getting drafted out of high school and, you know, being playing in front of scouts, it's, it's a little bit different. If uh, you know, the first time playing in front of professional scouts, it's a little bit intimidating. Uh, it's, you know, it's just one of those things where you have to understand, all right, my game's going to play. I just have to be who I am. That's who they're looking for. If I try and be someone else, then there's no point in them even showing up. 
Uh, so, you know, it was, I kind of was able to learn that on the fly and that translated more into when I went off to college in Colorado and then Kentucky and, you know, ultimately getting drafted there in 2014. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. And I think that's, that's an important one I didn't write down is uh, that mental game in front of scouts. And maybe we'll dive into that a little, a little later, but uh I think one thing that would be fun to talk about as well before we dive into it is your experience in Lima. Uh, got yeah. to go to Peru. That's got to be crazy. The Columbus. It was. <laughs> yeah, it was, um, it was an eye-opener for sure. I mean, right there where the Athletes Village was, it was, it was in what's called a, a red zone down there. Mm-hmm. So we had about 14-foot walls built up all around the village. Um, there were watchtowers, cops everywhere. Um, it just, it wasn't a very safe area, um, which, you know, it's coming from Canada and then living in the States for the past nine years, you don't, you take all that stuff for granted. You take good roads, good construction, you take proper traffic, you take all that such for, for granted that when you go over there, it's an eye opener as to, you know, this isn't, this isn't where, what everything else is like. So that was the very first thing I noticed over there. Um, but again, you know, it's, it was eight years between putting on the team Canada Jersey from my junior national days until last summer. And it was, I felt the exact same way. Never forget that feeling of putting on, on the Jersey. And no, we, we came up, we did the silver medal, um, which which hurts a little bit losing to Puerto Rico, but you know, it still was an unbelievable experience playing at that level um, against, you know, all the, the top teams there. Yeah, no kidding. I I remember playing in the Dominican when I was in grade 12 and there's kids beside the field. They had probably like a hundred plastic bags all balled up and they're just kicking this thing around. And I remember we were in, uh, we were in some van and just some Puerto Rican, not a Dominican guy driving us around Uh, (laughs) and there's no traffic lights. So there's like 10 cars going through an intersection at once. And I'm like, oh, this might be my last day. So, (laughs) oh, that's too funny. Too funny. Yeah. So uh, I actually, I want to dive into the catching side of things because it's not every day we get to talk to a guy like you. So uh, we might as well take as much as we can. Um, so like maybe we can dive into what your catching routine looks like, uh, what you do to pre- prepare yourself for the highest level. Uh, and maybe even you can talk about the difference between high school, college, pro, um, and how you prepared yourself for the highest level. Yeah, I mean, my, my catching routine since I started way back when in high school to now has adapted. Uh, you know, obviously the way that we catch has changed since the start of my professional career until now. Um, you know, everybody's teaching a different way. They're so focused now on just the bottom of the strike zone. They don't really – not that they don't care about other parts of the strike zone, but the the stats and the data and everything lead to – that's where you're going to get your most strikes, which eventually is going to lead to your most outs. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my, my catching routine is pretty basic. Um, Start with the fundamentals every single day. Whenever I'm doing my catching stuff, it's going to be receiving. It doesn't matter if I'm working on my blocking or my transfer work that day, I'm working on my receiving because if you can't catch a ball, you're not gonna be able to throw someone out. You're not gonna be able to block. You're not gonna have a job. Yeah. Um, So, you know, ever since high school till now, it's just kind of, refining those tools um so you know a typical day for me would would look like some bare hand drills 
uh, just kind of getting my eyes, my eyes, my eyes warmed up with my hands, uh, putting my glove on, working on my pocket control. Uh, if you don't know where your pocket is, you're not, again, you're not gonna be able to catch the baseball. Um, so that's the number one thing for me is, is getting that pocket control, making sure that my eyes are, are warmed up and I'm in sync with my hands. Um, and then I, you know, it just depends on the day. There's some days where I'm going to work on my receiving only, or there's days where I'm going to work on my receiving and then I'm going to incorporate my transfer work into that, which again has to do with my eyes and my hands, everything working together. Um, the biggest thing that I like to teach kids and I like to teach myself is understand that your body and your hands work best when they're closest to you. Mm -hmm. And the farther away you get from the ball, the farther away your hands get from your body, the more difficult everything becomes. I'll never forget. One of my coaches told me, think about it with figure skaters. When they have their hands far away from their body, they turn slow. When they bring their, their hands close to their body, they turn quicker and they're more in control. And so that really stuck with me with everything, even with my hitting, my throwing and my catching is, all right, I have more control of my body, the closer everything is to me. So in that way, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. So then a lot of it also just has to do with progressions. That's one of my biggest things is I want to feel every single movement. So it doesn't matter what I'm working on that day. I go down to the bottom and I work my way up. Whether if it's blocking, I'm going to start in my full blocking position then I'm going to work backwards and then I'm going to get to my full block and then I'll be able to go the other way. So that way I know, all right, when I'm in this position, I know what I need to be doing. I know how to get here as quick as I can. Uh, same thing with footwork and transfers. Yeah. Yeah. So let's say Jordan just has a three game set or four game set. Um, does that determine what you'll focus on the next week? Like for, for me, some of these young guys I've worked with, uh, let's say they go into a game and they strike out three times that weekend on a breaking ball, low and away. Uh, and then I'll see them come in the cage and they work on a fastball down the middle. And I'm sitting there just scratching my head. So maybe you can just talk about your approach to adjusting from what is actually happening in the game uh, instead of just going through the same routine every day, although that is important as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you need to have your routine. Everybody has their routine, whether they're hitting 500 or they're struggling. Mm -hmm. You have your routine that gets you ready. Now, the people that don't keep playing are those that refuse to adjust their routine. This is a game of adjustments. If you can't adjust, you're not going to be around. Mm -hmm. And so it's one of those things where if you're struggling on hitting the breaking ball, work on it. Work on hitting that breaking ball. Yeah, you can still work on your fastball. Don't get me wrong. Make sure you still get your, your drills in, whatever you need to do. But focus on, all right, yeah, this is what got me this weekend. Am I not – you have to figure out what's going on. Am I not picking it up properly? Am I trying to hit it too far out in front? Am I chasing bad pitches? What's going on with it? Mm -hmm. So it's adjusting your routine to what's going on on your daily basis. You're chasing this pitch. All right. I'm going to make sure that I'm not chasing anything near that. And I'm focusing on this other aspect of my hitting zone. Um, and then same with catching. If you're struggling catching with one pitch specifically or one pitcher, work on it. You have to work on it. And that's the only way you're going to get better. Yeah. A hundred percent. So as a catcher, premium position, obviously it's, there's a lot of health issues at that position compared to all the other ones. 
Um, can you talk about the importance of longevity? <laughs> and also maybe just talk about uh, your routine to, to keep your hips right, ankles right, lower back healthy. Yeah, that that's, it's definitely the most, it's the most demanding position. Uh, out there, I mean, pitchers will will fight with you tooth and nail to say that their position is is more demanding. Which <laughs> I'll give them credit. I can't imagine trying to throw. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. No, it's um, all good. It's it's one of those positions where yeah, I give them credit for sure, throwing the ball as hard as I can every single time. But it's also you know for me, I have to make sure my body is loose and my body is ready to go. If my body's not ready to go, I'm going to get hurt. And I've been pretty fortunate in my career to have pretty mobile hips, to have pretty mobile ankles. Um, one second here. Am I, am I frozen on your screen? Yeah, you're frozen on my side. Oh, my goodness. It's oh, still goodness. talking, though. It's, it's... Well, hey, at least it's still talking, but I look like a freaking – oh, and I got – oh, of course, it has my wife's name on there, too. Yeah, oh, awesome. yeah. One the second. people get to see it. Hey, there. That should be better. Oh, that was perfect. That's okay. perfect. I might, hey, I might even leave this on so people can uh, see that we're not perfect either on this. <laughs> right? That's fine by me. Um, but, you know, at, at the start of the day, it's all soft tissue work for me. Mm-hmm. I'm on a roller. Uh, I'm making sure that I'm getting my, my hamstrings, my quads, all my hips, everything that I have. I do my hip cars. I do all my hip mobility, my ankle mobility, shoulder mobility as well. Because if you think about it, catchers throw the most out of anybody on the field. Yeah. If you don't have a strong shoulder, a strong arm, you're not going to be able to do much. Because, you're, yeah, a pitcher comes in, starter throws 95, 100 pitches. Well, you're throwing every single pitch back to him. In between innings, you're throwing down. If you have an aggressive team, you're throwing down a lot more. And then that starting pitcher goes out, another pitcher comes in. Well, you're still throwing. Yeah. That's the biggest thing that I emphasize is I'll do my shoulder program three, four times a week when other position players might only do it once or twice, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with that. But catchers have to take that control a little more. Um, and the biggest thing with low back, I've had back issues since I was younger. Yeah. And it's one of those things that you have to take care of on a daily basis or else it's just going to get completely out of control. And I can feel when I'm not on top of that, my back will start to ache. Mm-hmm. And that's just my reminder of, hey, look, you got to figure it out. You got to get back on top of that or else it's going to get bad. Uh, so the biggest thing for me with my back is just core. Yeah. You have a strong core, which leads to your back being strong. You have a strong core. Your hips are going to be, your hips are going to move better. Are you a high performance athlete looking to take your sports career to the next level? If so, head over to my website, instinctperformance.ca, I-N-S-T-I-N-C-T, performance.ca, to learn how you can become more explosive, powerful, and dominant on the field. Let's get back to the podcast. Kind of hip cars with our athletes. Yep. Especially the ones with lower back pain. Oh, Absolutely. Be surprised how brutal their hips are yeah so uh, i had one question in here uh and it talks about approaching competition so you talked about going to the canada cup and performing as jordan getting the opportunity to represent the jnt uh playing in front of dozens of scouts uh and as well your peers 
So as a high school kid, let's say you have a high school kid right now who's sort of chasing that next level, that JNT slash draft slash college. Um, how can you get that kid's mind right for that competition or for when he gets that opportunity? If you had any, any recommendations. The, the biggest recommendation that I can give to kids and I see it all the time is don't get wrapped up in what other people think. I mean, the biggest thing now is that PBR and P and um, perfect game. It's great. They're great exposure, but kids get so wrapped up in their grades on that. Mm-hmm. It's like, Oh, I got to make sure that I, I throw 91.7 across the diamond. So that way I can get my 9.8 or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, the, the competitive aspect of it gets lost. And so my biggest thing for kids nowadays is challenge yourself, be better than the person next to you. Always hustle on the field, make sure, how are you going to separate yourself? That's something that I was working with some nine and 10 year olds and eventually some high schoolers this past weekend. And I kept talking about separators and there's some of these high school kids that have no clue what they are. And I'm like, well, how are you going to separate yourself from the kid next to you? Because when you get to high school, you get to college, you have your all-stars, you have your guys on the bottom, then you have everybody else, about 80 to 90% of the guys in the middle that are all very similar physically. Mm -hmm. And so if you're all similar physically, especially when you get to college, when you have guys that are two, three years older than you, well, how are you going to stand out? And to me, it's the small things. If you're backing up a base properly, if you're making proper throws, if you're in the right spot, and a coach doesn't have to yell at you saying, hey, why aren't you here? That goes a long way with a coach. If all of a sudden it's an overthrow and then you're right there and you get the guy at first base, coach isn't going to forget that. Mm-hmm. But if there's an overthrow and now no one's there and they get to they get another 90 feet, coach is going to remember that. Oh, yeah. It's not in the good way. Um, so, I mean, my biggest thing for kids nowadays is you can't control other people. You can't control the political side of it. So just control what you can control. Hustle, work hard, and, you know, everything's going to work out the way it's going to work out, whether you like it or not. <laughs> it, everything has a reason for it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just don't get caught up in that, in that game of I need to be rated at this or I need to be that. No. Go out there, compete, work your ass off. Excuse my language, little kids. But it's – that's the only way you're going to get better. You got to compete. You got to just stay within yourself. Yeah. 100%. And you mentioned, you mentioned that earlier when you were playing in front of scouts, all I could do is focus on what I could bring to the table. And if it was good enough, it was good enough. And if it wasn't, then I just, I'll keep working on what I can control. So I think that's a huge, huge point to focus on. So let's talk about, we'll just, we'll shift to your hitting approach. Uh, talk about how your approach has changed over the years. So you went to what junior college was it again? I went to Northeastern Junior College in Colorado, and North- I went to Northern Kentucky University. Yeah, Northeastern. So maybe talk about your evolution from Okotoks to junior college uh, to your Division One experience to eventually pro ball and how your swing has evolved over the, over the years. Yeah, so, you know, in, in high school – swinging wood bats in high school back in Canada it's it's a lot different which I love you know looking back on it I wouldn't change a thing bunch of high schoolers down here in the states swing metal and you know swing metal in professional baseball um but you know it was 
the the biggest thing that we were always taught coming up was find barrel, stay inside the baseball, and stay through it. Simple. If you do those three things, you're going to be able to stay. You're going to be able to use the whole field, um, and then you can get from there. You can start diving into your approach more. Of all right, who are we facing today? You know, I'll never forget whenever we we play the prospects. They always had some some live arms. One of my buddies, Ethan Elias, he was. 89 to 92 out of high school with, with some pretty good stuff. Um, and so it's all right, make sure you're on time. It, it's going to be a little bit better than what you're used to. I mean, typical is 84, 86. Um, so don't be late at that point. Um, and, and it's keep it simple. It's so easy to dive into, I, I want to hit a home run. I want to hit a home run. What's, what's my launch angle and all that back then it wasn't so much of a thing. Um, but it was basically, all right, get on time. And how are we going to manufacture runs? There were times where our team, I'll never forget, we would score runs without hitting the ball out of the infield just because we were that good at executing what we needed to do. Yeah. We always worked. We always worked on our situational hitting, which comes up in key situations. Uh, and then going from that to college, my freshman year, um, it was, it was different. It was a lot different. The fall, I had, I had a pretty good fall. Um, you know, I knew going in that I was going to be one of the guys that they were going to rely on heavily offensively. And as, as a freshman, I, at a JUCO, it's not too different because there's only a two, maybe three-year difference, depending on if there's some guys that are redshirting. But it's still a lot to take on as a freshman. And the biggest change there was, again, making sure that I was staying – staying through the middle of, middle of the field and staying and being on time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's in college, they're not afraid to throw you seven, eight breaking balls in a row. It's, it's one of the craziest things I've seen with, with college coaches is they just, they only care about winning. Yeah. And it's fine. I mean, there's some programs that care about winning and they can still develop and some is strictly about winning. Um, but it was that adjustment factor you needed to be able to make that adjustment a lot quicker than you would in high school. Yeah. You get a lot more mistakes in high school than you would in college. And, um, you know, I went, I also went to a Woodbat junior college league, which was one of the reasons why I went there is because I didn't want to swing metal. Mm-hmm. So sticking to that same approach of keeping it simple, keep it simple. doesn't matter if you're doing well or you're doing bad, keep it simple, understand your approach and, I'll never forget. It was our spring, our spring break trip. My freshman year, I think I hit a hundred throughout the entire week and it was a miserable week. Mm-hmm. And I just, I got out of my own comfort zone and I, I started being a player. I wasn't. And I'll never forget. I went in to, uh, with our hit, our assistant coach, Trevor Varley, and he was mainly our pitching coach, but he's seen me since I was a high schooler. And he was like, what are you doing? Like, this isn't who you are. Like, look at these swings. This isn't who you are. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I went back to my basics, went back to my routine and understood, all right, keep your approach simple, find barrel and stay through the ball. Yeah. And it turned it around and, you know, I ended up having a pretty good freshman year, had a really good sophomore year. Mm-hmm. Um, going from, from junior college to division one, the biggest thing in, that I noticed in division one, besides for the constant breaking balls was guys could spot up their fastball a little bit better. You know, you were consistently just getting fastballs down and away, down and away, down and away yeah. for strikes. 
And, you know, college umpires, I'm not trying to rag on them, but they're going to give two, three balls off the plate for strikes. So now that gets you into your approach of, okay, with two strikes, anything close, you got to fight. And you can't let the umpire take the bat out of your hands. Mm-hmm. So many guys with their approach go, oh, well, that's not a strike. It's like, you're right. It's not, but are you out? Well, yeah, exactly. So until you get two strikes, what I like to say is stay in your hitting zone. You have to understand the difference between your strike zone and your hitting zone. Hitting zone are pitches with less than two strikes that you're trying to drive. And if they're not in that hitting zone, unless you have some type of situation going on, you have three strikes for a reason. Mm-hmm. And then with two strikes, all right, now it's just battle mode and find a way to put a ball in play. And, and still, you still want to drive it. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. You don't want to just be a front foot hitter and, you know, just kind of lazy fly balls or lazy hits. But at the end of the day, biggest thing for me is two out hits win championships. You look at it, I think it was this past postseason, the amount of runs that the Dodgers scored with two outs was absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. And two strikes. Yeah. You know, it's – I'll never – as a catcher, if you, you get a guy down 0-2, 1-2, it's miserable if they get a hit. You're annoyed. Yeah. So, and then going from, from, from D1 to pro, it's just a whole other ball game. It's one of those things where you have so many – so much information brought to you that you know – the tendencies from this pitcher, it's your approach goes more into, obviously you still have your approach, but it goes more into, all right, what pitcher am I facing today? Yeah. What information do I have on him? And what information does he have on me? So in that way, all right, it's a battle between him and I, and I know what he's going to try and do. He knows what my strengths, my weaknesses are mm-hmm. and go from there. Yeah. So a little more, a little more strategizing at the pro level because you have so much information. Yes, but at the end of the day, and it's so easy to get into it, is don't forget to compete. Yeah. You can't just be like, oh, well, he, the stats say he was supposed to throw me this pitch there, but he threw me something else. Well, yeah, but your eyes still got to tell you what you got to do. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. That compete factor is huge. We got some, uh, I'd say, lower-end players, but they compete, and they'll be just as good as the, the middle of the pack just because they have that you-can't-beat-me motherfucker. <laughs> so – and, and that's just it, right? It, it's that attitude of good luck. Yeah. Try. Yeah, 100%. So as a, as a catcher, and I think this is a – I had one of, my, one of my high school guys ask me to ask you this. So you're behind the dish, hitter walks up. What is going – at the pro level, yeah, you have so much information, but maybe at the younger levels, what's making you attack each hitter in different ways? You know, they're set up. Where are they on the plate? What inning is it? What's the count? Stuff like that. Can you dive into your thought process on all that stuff? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the first thing I'm doing is understanding where in the, where in the order he's hitting. It's, all right, okay, first, first couple of hitters are going to have some good bat control. You know, they're going to be a little pesky, probably run a little bit. What are, what's their, their job? And that's the first thing that has to cross your mind. All right, three, four, five hitters, going to be driving the ball. Mm-hmm. They're going to be looking to get their arms extended. They're going to be looking to, to do some damage. Six through nine. All right, what, what, what do we got? Is, is this just that right fielder who can put a little bit of ball, bat on ball? Or is this that second baseman who's a really good defender and he just has to be in the lineup down low? Is it a catcher who can't hit but is great behind the dish? So that's the first thing I'm always looking for is where in the lineup are they hitting and what, what are they going to try and do? 
the next thing I do is I look at their setup. If you watch Yachty Molina, you watch a bunch of the big leaguers, before they even give their signs, they, they're scanning up and down the hitter. And they even then, mm-hmm. they have all this information. They know, all right, yeah, this is how we're going to get them out. But everybody makes adjustments. Yeah. And the slightest adjustment with someone's hands, with someone's feet, with their setup, with their head, that's something that we as catchers need to be able to see so that way we can adjust as well to that. So then the next thing you're going to do is you're going to scan your hitter. All right, does he have an open stance? Does he have a closed stance? What's his back foot doing? Is it pointed towards me? Is it pointed neutral? Is it towards a pitcher? What's his front foot doing? Where's all of his weight? All of that stuff comes into factors because then that's telling you. Sorry. Um, Then that's telling you a story. You have to understand what story the hitter is trying to tell you. And from there, if you have no information on a guy whatsoever, the easiest thing to do is to go on a four spot fastball down and away. You go on a fastball down and away. That right there is the safest pitch in baseball. Mm-hmm. It comes down to it. And from there, now you start collecting data. All right. Were they on time? What type of, did they have a leg kick? Did they have a toe tap? Um, were they lunging out there? Did they even try and swing at it? If they did swing at, what type of swing did they take? Mm-hmm. So you need to be absorbing as much information as you possibly can. There's guys I'll never forget. It was literally a cat and mouse game with, with a hitter. I told the pitcher, I was like, look, we have all of our information on him. We know where his holes are at, but he's been trying to cheat by setting up differently every single time, whenever we expose him. So I would tell my pitcher, Hey, if we're not going to his weakness, there's a reason for it. And the simplest thing was it was his back foot would either be neutral or it would be towards me. Mm-hmm. And so all that was, was just one little thing that he was doing to not knowing, thinking that I wouldn't pick that up. And now he's getting a pitch that he should hammer and he's either not looking for it. So he doesn't swing or he's not looking for it, but he wants to swing and he gets out on a pitch that he should hit. Yeah. And then now there's next at bat. All right. He goes back to normal. They're going to attack me in. So gain as much information. Hitters will tell you a story by, the way they walk up to the plate, where they're at in the lineup, and their stance with all of their timing. Yeah. I hope that helps. I hope that answers his question. Yeah, no, that's perfect. We got it. No, that's, yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. There's so much more than just so much a damn curveball. <laughs> so much more. Absolutely. Even, even in these, uh, like I watch some of these elite high school baseball leagues, and uh, I watch their pitch calling, and I'm still – still baffled by it but (laughs) yeah it's it's the pitch calling is is one of the the toughest things to do as a catcher Mm -hmm. um and that was one of the reasons why i like my junior college is because they allowed me to call my own games yeah that's the only way you're gonna learn and so what one thing i will say for all i know frank has told me that they they do call uh some games for kids is don't just put the fingers down don't just be like, oh, coach wants me to call this. Understand why. Yeah. Between innings, go up to your coach and be like, hey, what was our reasoning for this? Like, did you see something? Have a conversation. Don't go up there and, and get all upset with your coaches calling a game. No. If you have a coach that truly wants the best for you and you go up and ask them, hey, what was the reasoning for this in a, in a nice manner? Not, don't, come out, don't come at them hard. They're going to explain to you the reason for it. And they're going to be like, dang, he actually wants to learn. And then from that forth, they're going to gain more trust in you. 
especially if you're like, Hey, I might've saw this. What do you think? You know, don't just let it be a one-way conversation, have a two-way conversation with your coach for you to get better. And then eventually they're going to gain your trust. Yeah. That's a, that's a quick way to develop to uh, ask, asking questions. That coach has obviously been through the ringer yeah, and then seen it all and you haven't. So the quicker you learn, the better you get, the better you get, the further you go. So always learning. That's yeah, no, that's important. I would, and I wanted to ask this as well uh, on the J and T, like were you heavily recruited out of high school and sort of how did you increase that draft value over the years? I know you hit uh, who told me this. I don't know. I was asking someone, they were talking about your 30 Jack season in Juco. So uh, yeah. How, how did you increase that value and how, how did you improve that much? Um, yeah, I, I was, but we'll say, uh, we won't say Colorado. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I was pretty heavily recruited out of high school. Um, you know, I had, I had a, a good number of offers on the table from junior colleges, division ones, NAIs, D2s. And, uh, you know, it was just, for me, it was just playing, Mm -hmm. you know, playing, getting stronger, getting bigger, playing against good competition. That's how, you know, I I increased that value. Um, You know, unfortunately, I I did, um, I did suffer an injury in May, I think it was April or May of my senior year, month before the draft. Not that I thought I was going to go very high in the draft, but that definitely, depleted any chance of getting drafted out of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it was just one of those things where you get in front of the right people and you be who you are, you're going to have an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll never forget driving or flying down to Colorado in my high school, my senior year of high school there and going to work out. And, you know, it's just getting in front of the right people. That's the biggest thing. And, um, it was, well, I don't know who told you, but it was my sophomore year is a 15 home run season. <laughs> um, led the nation with my teammate that year, but, um, you know, and, and that year before I even had that on that really good season, my sophomore spring, I had already committed. Uh, you know, I had a pretty good freshman year hit, I think 300. And so I already had a bunch of offers coming at me in that fall. And to me coming out of high school, going to college, I want to go somewhere I was going to play. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to go to a four-year program just to say, hey, I went D1 yeah. and not see the field until halfway through my sophomore year. Whereas for me, I, I knew a school that wanted me. It was a junior college. I was going to be able to play a, a lot in the fall, a lot in the spring. And it worked out for me to go Division One. Um, but again, it was just doing all the small things right. Coaches knew that I was going to be in the right spot at the right time. I was going to make a good throw. And I was going to be a tough out at mm-hmm. the plate. And then as well, I'd be able to con- command our pitching staff. So if you can do all those small things right, you're a coach's dream. Mm-hmm. Now, if you can do all the small things right and be an absolute superstar, well, then you're a first rounder. Yeah. But it's, it's doing those little things that can make a coach, coach's job easier or make your teammates' job life easier, mm-hmm. such as being a leader, you know, being, making sure guys are there on time, guys are in the right spot or they have all their stuff they need to have. That's a coach's dream of a, of a team is when a team can basically lead itself. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of for increasing stock value or draft value or anything for college. It's just being, it was just being myself. 
making sure that I was the best competitor I could be every single day and trusting in what I did. Yeah. And do you, with, with everything sort of evolving these days in sports performance, uh, I know I do mental performance stuff as well. Is there anything specifically you do to work on that side of the game? Absolutely. I, uh, I actually had a, um, coach mental strength coach from my middle of my freshman year and it was probably the best thing I ever did because Mm -hmm. this game beats you up mentally more than it will physically yeah I mean you look at it the best of the best hitters are still failing 70% of the time and they're hall of famers Mm -hmm. so it's how can you be okay with failing 75% of the time 70% of the time and be considered a top of the top, but all right, I want to make sure that 70, 75 doesn't turn into an 80, 85, 90% of the time failing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, mental, mental strength is, is such a key aspect to this game uh, in every way possible. Yeah. Because especially in my position as a catcher, it's a very thankless job. Mm-hmm. No one's going to come up to you and say, Hey, you received that pitch really good right there. Some pitchers will, don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but it's a very thankless job and you just have to understand, all right, you know, this is, I do this because I love it. I do this for the team mm-hmm. and I don't need all the praise. That's not, that's not what I'm here for. for sure. um, but if you allow your mind to beat up on yourself, it's going to, Yeah. it's going to, the mind plays so many tricks on yourself that you don't even know about. Mm-hmm. So for me, I practice a lot of breathing. Uh, breathing will just calm down. My mind will kind of what I, what I call bring myself back to neutral, like restart, reset, mm-hmm. you know, all right. I need to forget what happened there. Let's move on. What's next? Um, you know, if, if you can't move forward, then you're, you're just stuck. Mm-hmm. And being stuck is the worst thing for you. <laughs> for um, sure. So it, it's one of those things, again, I mean, it comes back to the recruiting aspect of control. You can control. Mm-hmm. Once the ball leaves your bat with hitting, you have no control. Whether they make a diving play or whether they steal a hit from you or whether you get out. But – if you were on time, if you took a good swing, you had a good approach, well, then you checked every single box. Now the result is out of your control. For sure. So that's, that's one of those things is just don't let it beat up on you. And if, if you feel like you are, find a way to reset. Some guys it's reading. Some guys it's breathing. Some guys it's doing push-ups. Some guys it's screaming. I, everybody's different. Mm-hmm. But find what works for you and use that to the best of your ability. Do it daily. We all work out every day. We all throw. We all hit. We all pitch. We all do our catching stuff. Why aren't you doing your mental stuff? Yeah, get your mind right. Get Absolutely, mind right, for sure. So I got I got one more question, and super appreciative of your time. So thank you. No problem. Um, you're the first. You're the first one to do this. I've been trying to jazz up the podcast, so we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna add this and uh, and see how she goes. Oh boy. So here's the question. You got 15 breaths left or one minute worth of time left in your life. I know that's a little harsh, but you have, you got a group of young aspiring athletes asking Jordan to share a bunch of wisdom before he leaves. What advice can you give to these kids to stand out and continue to develop? Understand what your role is. Understand what you can do. Um, Don't try and be someone that you're not because then you're not going to be the best who you are. And don't compare yourself to the guy to your left or to your right. Compare yourself to yourself. 
that's going to be your biggest enemy is looking outside of your body without looking within. So easy to blame someone. Oh, well, I was better than him. Well, yeah, were you the best that you could be that day? So that, that's my, my biggest advice is control you can control and compete against yourself. Nice. That's great. That's great. So where can we, where can we find and support you? I'm on Twitter and Instagram. My Twitter is just jprocession17. And then my Instagram is jpro underscore 07, I believe. No, it's just jpro07. Sweet. I'll throw, I'll throw her in the notes for people Perfect. to find. All right. Thank you, Jordan. No problem. Are you an athlete trying to take your sports career to the next level? Are you trying to secure your spot on an all-star team, college roster, professional roster, or Olympic roster? Are you an athlete who is highly motivated and works hard in the gym and on the field but aren't seeing the results you deserve? That's where I come in. I'm a sports performance specialist and I help athletes separate themselves from their competition through precise, detailed, and meticulous strength training programs. I help you develop the speed, power, strength, and athleticism it takes to stand out and separate yourself from your competition. If this is something you're interested in, head over to my website, instinctperformance.ca, and fill out the online coaching application form, and we will schedule a free consultation to see if you're a good fit. What this looks like. If you get accepted, you'll receive a detailed movement assessment where we test your deficiencies and determine what your strengths and weaknesses are. Number two, you'll have access to an app that I use that outlines the exact exercises, sets, reps, and rest intervals. This app gives you full video breakdown of each movement so you know exactly how to do it. If this is something you're interested in, head over to our website, instinctperformance.ca. Hit us up on social media. Instagram is ip.performance and Facebook is instinctperformance. Thanks for tuning in to today's show. Isaiah out.